Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm Ruth Haley Barton, and here again we find ourselves starting a new year in our church calendar with the season of Advent. This year, the theme of our Advent reflections is Come, Lord Jesus, Come, walking through the Advent season together. And so we want to do just that with you, our podcast listeners. Each week during this Advent season, a few members of our staff here at the Transforming Center will gather and we'll read the scriptures for that week from the Revised Common Lectionary for Cycle C. I'll share some thoughts about what these scriptures are stirring up in me right now, and then we'll have an open and honest conversation around those themes. We'll conclude each episode with the reading of a poem that will carry us even more deeply into the theme for that week and provide needed support. These episodes will release on Monday each week, so we can all read into the next Sunday scriptures together. And now, please enjoy this week's conversation. Hello, friends. How wonderful it is to be in the second week of Advent with you. Uh, Last week was the first week, and we talked about Advent as a season of alert waiting. And we introduced practices of solitude and silence and waiting for the light. Our staff is here together again today, and we're getting ready to enter into the second week, and we'll be reading the scriptures for the second week of Advent. Uh, Different voices of staff members will be reading, and then we will have some comments and questions and reflections and poetry and all that good stuff to help us uh, continue to walk through the Advent season together. Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Luke 1, 68-79 Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Luke 3, 1-6 In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias the ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out on the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord for the second week of Advent. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Well, if the first week was about alert waiting, the second week is definitely about preparation, and you can hear that in the scriptures. And it was the preparation of the messenger, John the Baptist, and also the preparation of his message. And so we're in the book of Luke in cycle C, and we're really hearing the story of Zacharias, who was prophesying about Jesus and about John the Baptist. And there's a lot going on here, so I do want to give us a context before we go into our conversation, because the lectionary has us a little bit out of order. Earlier in chapter 1 of Luke, Mary visits Elizabeth, and the children in their wombs connect with each other. And Mary sings her Magnificat, but we haven't uh, read that yet. We won't get to that until the fourth week in the reading of the lectionary. Um, But what we have going on here is that Zacharias, who was not able to believe the word of the angel, Gabriel, um, has been silenced and muted in this season because he was not able to believe that what God said would happen uh, in terms of giving him and his wife a son would actually happen. So um, he is muted. He can't speak because of his unbelief. But the women, on the other hand, are having no trouble believing, and they are actually leaning into these God-ordained pregnancies that will bring forth two very special little boys, one of whom is John, John the Baptist. And he is the messenger who has been foretold in Malachi. And so in these readings today, we have the Old Testament prophecy about this messenger, 
And then we have Zacharias's prophecy about John at his birth. And so when John's born, his mouth is open, he is unmuted, and he comes forth with this amazing prophecy, which is interesting because it shows that in silence, we can do a lot of internal processing. And I have a feeling that his prophecy and all that he knew spiritually came from the fact that he had been silent for a season and he had had to ponder all these things. And so the first words that come out of his mouth are these prophetic words that have so much depth of insight. And so after his long silence, he's able to give this son a perspective and a blessing and he's able to prophesy about what John's role will be in the salvation story. And then in the second reading from Luke, we get to meet John himself. And we start to get a taste of his message. We get to start interacting with his message. And here's a phrase that I love that I think connects last week with this week. And that is that the word of God came to John in the wilderness. I just love that mm -hmm. phrase. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. And so we talked about the wilderness of our waiting last week, and we talked about choosing to wait in the places of darkness and unknowing and confusion and despair, and all of that is different, just different words for talking about these wilderness experiences that we have in our lives. And so there's something really hopeful about the fact that the Word of God came to John in the wilderness. And so this week, we're starting to see some of the fruits of our waiting, and now there is some work for us to do that John talks about in his prophecy. And it is the work of preparation, which to me, as I read this passage, speaks about self-awareness. That there's no way to do this preparatory work without having some awareness of our own lives and who we are and where some of the obstacles to God's coming might be and also how we can smooth the way, how we can make a way. So John has these characteristics or these ways of illustrating what needs to happen in our lives during this season. And he talks about every valley, every low or empty place being filled, every mountain and hill, and those would be perhaps obstacles that are in the way, that those need to be made low, that there are crooked places, perhaps sinful places that need to be made straight, and then these rough ways, these rough places. So places that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're just ineffective. They just don't do anybody any good. We're rough around the edges, and there's something about it that's just not all that it could be. Parts of ourselves that just don't help, um, and that those places can be made smooth. So I wonder, as we think about these phrases, these aspects of self-awareness, what is coming to you? What do you hear in those phrases? I've mentioned some of what I'm hearing in those phrases, but... Which of those phrases speaks to you, and what do you hear when you hear those phrases where John's just trying to illustrate what preparation looks like? This is where the juxtaposition between the Christian New Year starting now and the New Year kind of world calendar year being kind of after this season, I, it like messes with me a little bit because all of those are very kind of New Year's resolution, not, I mean, and they're more and they're deeper than that, but this idea of really looking towards what are the things in me that I want to really change or what are the things that it feels like in this season, like calendar culturally, I'm like, I don't want to think about that now. That's like a next month mm -hmm. thing. But I love the fact that, that the church calendar is inviting us to look at those things in the midst of being with family and celebrating the holidays and marking it in this time because there is some real, like I just think about right now, what are the real things relationally that maybe I need to smooth my own edges on or um, 
in my family or in my marriage that are like their real their real sin or their real brokenness that is um as we head into this kind of connected season it would be good to really look at that and start that even though there's a real part of me that's like I don't want to do that work now everything Everything else else is happening (laughs) yeah well, I um, the phrase that stood out to me was, you know, made low. Um, I, I don't like to hear that. <laughs> and um, but that's what really jumped out to me is the idea that, well, what what are the places in me that need to be made low? That that uh, that sounds a lot worse than just crooked making straight, <laughs> a lot more painful. <laughs> Yeah, I can't ever help but thinking about ego in that, in the context of that phrase. Yeah. You know, is there a prideful place, an arrogant place, an ego-driven place that needs to be humbled um, and made low? And can I submit to that when it happens? You know, Richard Rohr talks about the fact that in the true spiritual journey, that that when that kind of humbling comes, we receive it. You know, as that versus trying to fight against it. But it's hard to submit to ego and arrogance and pride being made low. Um, and so I appreciate you mentioning that. As I, as I read this, it's really powerful to me that he, he actually uses the uh, prophecy from Isaiah immediately before mm-hmm. it. And so I, when I think about the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord, I, I think of like how strong my yearning is to actually be ready for that time of his coming, you know? Mm-hmm. And then on a personal note, like I, I think that volatility is a word that I would use to describe mm-hmm. my household at times right now. <laughs> and so when I think about, you know, the, the focus and energy and intentionality behind preparing the way for Jesus to come, I'm really drawn to that last one, the rough ways being made smooth. You know, there's there's something that needs to happen in my relationship with my kids and in my relationship with my spouse that needs to smooth out those ways for us to even begin to enter into a headspace to w- welcome Jesus. Yeah. I was thinking about the despair that we talked about last week um, in relation to this first phrase that every valley, every low place needs to be filled. And I was thinking about how despair, if it's indulged, and how it can prevent us seeing anything good that's coming and seeing the presence of Christ because we're just, we've given up hope. So that that phrase spoke to me about not giving up hope. Even though everything in me wants to believe that there are certain things that can't be changed and they won't be changed and we're all on the path to doom, (laughs) that that despair, that low place doesn't help me to, to keep my head up and to stay alert. And it's hard because it's it really in, in the season that we're in right now in our country and in our world, it's hope against hope, right? It's, it's hope without much to indicate that hope is warranted. And yet remaining low like that um, does, isn't helpful. It doesn't keep me alert in the season. That's kind of where my heart was when you were speaking earlier as well, that to wait in the darkness and believe that it begins with God in the darkness Mm -hmm. takes a certain amount of faith that I want to still have. And to even prepare for something requires a certain amount of hope and a certain amount of faith that as you're 
preparing for whatever it is, whether it's to have people over into your home or a Christmas morning, that there are, there are hopes attached to that, that you prepare with a certain anticipation and a certain belief that there is something coming in into that. And coming off of our conversation last week, it was very clear to me that that even though God starts in the darkness with us in Advent, that then we do begin to prepare our hearts and the way for his coming. And it requires a faith. And I even think that that's the theme that we tied into the prayer for this week, you know, with the liturgy that, that there's a faith required and I'm realizing how much I need God to meet me in that place and to rebuild and really nurture and protect and hold my faith. And it's, it's almost like choosing that faith and hope as an act of resistance, mm-hmm. right? It's like a, it's an act against the despair or against what the world is telling us is true about darkness or whatever. And, and choosing to, to be hopeful as an act of resistance is um, inviting right now a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't help making that same connection, especially when the, the first Luke passage, you know, says to give light to those who sit in darkness. And it just really drew me to the practice that we talked at is that when you get up before the sun rises and wait for the sunrise, it's this act of trust, right? It's, and, and to do that, and I did it for a whole year, mm-hmm. uh, not just the season of Advent when, when I first was introduced to it, because it was such a powerful reminder of how one, how faithful God is, right? That he's put things in creation to remind us that he will show up, that he will reveal light and truth. And I think, too, that, you know, that I it, it's just trusting God that he will do that. Um, so that's what makes that physical practice, even though, I mean, I resonate, too, where you feel like it's so hard to hope uh, that things can be better, yet I can lean into a practice like that and and remind myself that uh, that God is faithful even when I don't see it. I, I like that they use Paul in these to, you know, that Paul was a part of this because he's for me he's someone who really offers a lot of that hope. And that line where he says, "I am confident of this that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ." Like it is, I, I sometimes I need an actual biblical reminder of that hope, not just mm-hmm. what I have internally, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that was actually a passage, a piece of the passage that I wanted to draw attention to here at the end. That there is this really strong word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul, which is the beauty of the lectionary and. We just completed TC 17, Transforming Community 17, number four, where we always introduce the reading of a shared lectionary and following uh, the patterns of the church year by following a shared lectionary. And the way in which the lectionary passages are put together, the more you sit in them, the more you see these amazing connections. So being, being with John the Baptist and hearing the prophecy about what needs to be done in our lives could be rather overwhelming <laughs> without the encouragement of the Apostle Paul saying, but it's not all up to you. You know, it's not all up to you to fix yourself and to find all the low places that need to be filled and all the high places that need to be made low and all the crooked places that need to be made straight. You know, that, that there is a work of God in this, that it's not just our own morbid introspection throughout the season or our own power to make ourselves better somehow throughout the season, that there's a power 
greater than us that is at work. And I found that to be really encouraging in response to John the Baptist's prophetic word. And it's a hard word. I mean, you know, he's calling us to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he's, you know, telling us these things that need to take place. And Paul is saying, but you're not alone in it. You know, you don't have to do it for yourself. And so Paul's prayer for us, and I, I, I want to include myself. I want to believe that the Apostle Paul is praying for me in Philippians. And I'm going to say it in those words that Paul has this powerful prayer for us. And the other thing I see in Philippians is also, it's a passage that's filled with so much longing. I don't know if you noticed how much longing there was. And, you know, Paul is a very intelligent, heady sort of person. So when he goes to that emotional place, I always kind of pay attention because I don't think of him that way. I think of him more as the great theologian, the one who wrote the book of Romans and, you know, has laid out all of our theology. But he just shares so much longing in Philippians and so much love, which was really beautiful. I I kind of took it into my heart, you know, that he had a lot of longings and reminded me of the longings that we all have relative to our own holiday gatherings, right? Like... We all go into the season with a lot of longing for things to be certain ways, don't we? We want to see certain things happen. We want to feel certain things. We want our family to be a certain way. Um, And I think Paul's writings invite us to be in touch with our love and our longing um, for those we love in this season. Um, But he's pretty specific. He talks about our love overflowing with knowledge and full insight to determine what is best. And I thought that that kind of connected discernment with this self-awareness that needs to come for preparation, that actually perhaps the practice for this season is discernment, discerning what it is in me that needs to be made low, discerning what it is in me that needs to be filled, discerning what it is that needs that's crooked that needs to be made straight that perhaps we might enter into the season this week in particular with an emphasis on discerning and becoming more self-aware under God's guidance versus our own about what needs to take place, you know, in our lives. Um, Discerning, as he says, what is most needed and best, that we might have the insight to discern what is best. How does that, how does that settle inside you? The idea of of seeking discernment versus just trying to think it think it through on our own, you know. It made me hopeful that maybe I wouldn't have to face all the things at once. <laughs> 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 that if I ask God to help me discern the the thing that needs to be paid attention to most right now, mm-hmm. yeah, because there are so many things that need yeah. to be filled in or made low or made straight or made smooth and. Um, I, I'm really drawn to the idea that I might ask a very specific question of God this mm-hmm. week and this season yeah. about what would be the thing, if you were going to speak into one thing right now, mm-hmm. that would be bringing more light into the world than darkness in me. Yeah. What would that be? Yeah. And then we just work on one thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we all just... Say we're going to work on one thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> not everything, <laughs> then right? all the things. <laughs> all the things. Well, can I say I think that that's part of what gets overwhelming about the idea of 
darkness and self-examination and repairing. And I do think that it's one of the reasons why we back away from it personally, but I also think it's one of the reasons why we back away from it communally. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the reasons why the Christian community right now is having a hard time facing into hard things is because we, it's easier to not. Mm -hmm. And it also takes a certain amount of faith that God is in the darkness and that the darkness will not overwhelm us. That if we talk about the things that are dark right now, in our lives individually and in communal and communally that somehow it's all going to fall apart and it's all going to go away and God won't be there anymore. Yeah. And I, I just, I hope that we can see that that actually is the opposite that when we, when we are able to look at some of these scripture passages and be invited into self-examination in a way that allows God in yeah. um, both in our, very personal encounters with God, but also in the kinds of conversations and the ways in which we gather in groups. So that would be a hopeful thing this season, I think. What is immediately drawn to mind for me in what you just said in that passage is that this is, this is such a demanding season and we're, Um, we've talked about, um, in our marriage a lot about discerning, like saying no to some good things to get to the very best things. And if our hearts are in a place where we're really going to be focused on preparing the way for the Lord in that way, um, we might have to say no to some really good things to, and have discernment about what the best things are for us right now. Yeah, I agree because I think we wish we could have it both ways. We wish we could have it all ways. (laughs) Could I do this spiritual work and do everything else that the culture demands and that I want and all of that? And I don't think we can in this life with our limitations. I don't think we get to have it both ways all the time. And I think it's a seduction to think that we that we can be working at this level and being present to God at this level while doing everything we always do and getting as caught up in all the cultural dynamics as we often allow ourselves. So to be intentional in these ways does require, I think, the creation of some space, some inner quiet space, you know. Well, and that, I mean, when you were speaking, it brought me back to what we said last week about silence and solitude. Mm -hmm. And the idea for me is, you know, as I thought about the passage in Philippians about overflowing, your love may overflow with more and more knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. I went to the relational things that are going to come up this holiday season, Mm -hmm. right? The, 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 we are, everyone's family probably has some level of dividedness and the discernment of what to say, what is best to do in some of those conflicts does not come in the moment, right? It comes because I've spent some time that morning in silence because in the moment I'm just going to react out of like whatever my gut says to say to this crazy uncle. Um, But if I am good at taking that silence and solitude and really rooting myself in that, then in the moment I can discern out of a more loving place what is best. Yeah. 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 And and sometimes it may be to back away and not say anything, but then there's other times where the definite call is to, to, to stand your ground a little bit mm-hmm. and to say I think I'm being called to bring something else into this mm-hmm. situation rather than just letting it all unfold you know mm-hmm. the way it normally does mm-hmm. so and that's discernment there's no way to know that except to be in touch with the spirit deep within which can only happen in our you know in our quiet some some sort of quiet on the inside yeah that we can bring into the environments that we're in so you know next week we will definitely get into the even more deeply into the call to repentance 
But this time, I just was wondering if our practice this week could be about self-awareness, just asking God to give us a little bit more self-awareness. We don't even have to get all the way to repentance yet because we'll get there next week. <laughs> you can't wait. Nobody's going to want to come back for the next conversation. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm out. <laughs> that was first and only time. Conversation. <laughs> but just for this week, just asking God for a breath of self-awareness to know ourselves a little bit more fully. Well, if we're ready, I have a poem. For us this week, every week we're going to end with a poem because I think poems kind of get around our defenses and help us to see things and feel things in new ways. And this is a poem from a new poet that I'm just getting familiar with. His name is Drew Jackson. Um, he's from Hope East Village in New York City. And he's definitely writing his poetry out of his experience of being a black male and um, looking at scriptures and the stories from Luke in particular through his experiences, and it's called The Waters of Insurrection. So if you are not driving, but if you're at home or someplace where you can open up just a little bit, go ahead and sit comfortably with your back straight, your feet flat on the floor, your hands open as a way of being willing to receive what God might have in this moment of quietness. And his poem is actually responding to a statement from Cornel West who says, Never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. And he's writing about John the Baptist. I went out into the desert where the prophet speaks his word. He spoke of things I cannot say that I had ever heard. His mouth was filled with power. His eyes burned deep with fire, but not because he hated, it was justice he desired. He wanted public love to roll like fast and mighty rivers. The things he said, they touched my core and gave my soul a shiver. I stood and listened closely to hear him talk oppression, but I could little understand his talk about confession. I came to hear him speak about the sins of evil Rome, but what he wanted was for me to think about my own. Apparently, from what he says, my sins made me complicit. He told me that repentance is my real act of resistance. He stood knee-deep in water and reached in my direction. I grabbed his hand and I stepped in, committing insurrection. <laughs>